Jeff, it is 3.49 on Friday afternoon. This is far from our normal time of recording. And I think you have some good news to share. Like we are all about people sharing their dubs with the world and you receive something or other as some sort of banker. I don't know what your fake job is. It is my fake job, right? This is the real job. This is the real I, job. I, it's not a big deal. I don't think it's good news. I mean, it's good news. It's not bad news. It's news. Uh, I have officially done with the executive development program as of today. I graduated. They gave me a little trophy. Got my name etched into it. That's pretty much it. That's the only thing tangible that's going to come from it. But it was kind of fun. I mean, that's not nothing. It's not nothing. Uh, I like they had a photographer there taking pictures of all of the the graduates. There were thirty of us or something. So, I mean, they made us feel important. Like in the grand scheme of things, it's not, but they made us feel like it is. So, I mean, that was okay. That's cool. I mean, you talked to what the CEO of Zion's Bank was there, so it's kind of uh, yeah. Talk, the governor was there, people. wasn't he? Uh, he was supposed to be, but he did not make it. There was somebody else that. Oh, come on. The Aggies playing in the Mountain West Championship ah. game is not that big of a deal, Spencer. Yeah, I know. Anyway, it was a good time. There were a lot of people in suits. I wore a cardigan. Mm. I could always see you for more of a cardigan guy. Well, a lot of it is I'm too fat for my my suits. And I, I don't know where my fat's going to stop, you know? So I just haven't gone and bought a new one. But I showed up. So they said business attire. What does business attire mean to you? Um, business attire, it's a generational thing. To our parents, business attire means a suit. And business casual means like khakis and a button-up shirt. For yeah, people okay. our age, business attire means khakis and a button-up shirt. Formal is a suit. And business casual is wear whatever the hell you want to because right. you're a grown up and I'm not your mom. Exactly. Uh, so I showed up wearing, I don't even know if I'd call them khakis. Like they're kind of my everyday pants. They're not jeans. Uh, maybe they are jeans and they're just not denim jeans, but uh, I think they are. I think they're gray jeans now that I sit here and think about it. I did wear a button up. I had a polo, but I did wear a button up and then I threw a cardigan on over the top and then I wore uh, some all black with white soles, uh, high top Jordan ones. That was what I wore. Okay. Like I, I thought I was looking good and I showed up. Everybody was in suits. Everybody was in dress shoes. Um, I mean, the casual people were wearing just sports coats. It was, I, I felt like I was going to a high school dance and I showed up looking like I was, you know, just getting ready for a Ooh. date to go to the football game with the, with somebody. Right. So it was not a, not my best look. The cardigan was like, it was kind of loud. It was big, had like a big rolled collar. And it was that, uh, like that Heather, the heathered gray that kind of looks like speckles, like the old static that you would get when you turn it to a TV. Yeah. So it was pretty loud. I stood out when they took the, the picture of the class, everybody was looking really formal. And then there was me in the back with the, red shirt and a speckly cardigan. I don't think my Jordans quite made the picture. Well, it was a weird business attire. They were lucky. I wasn't wearing sweats, frankly. I mean, that would have been, I could just imagine you, you should have worn your BYU, your 
Have you named your TikTok character yet? Well, I was calling him BYU vibe guy, but I don't know. I, you should have gone with that look. Just showed up with your pit vipers on, the American, <laughs> you know, your, I your shorts, your Crocs and four-wheel drive. Somebody did recognize me. And so uh, somebody in the class came up to me and said, are you that guy that did that BYU TikTok? I said, oh, yeah. Uh, it's like I knew people were going to see that, but I didn't expect these people to see that. But there we were. And he knew. Your he alter, recognized, recognized your alter my ego. Your alter Worlds ego. are colliding, Garrett. Worlds so are colliding. Oh, gosh. Well, it was a semi it was a pretty uneventful week uh the basketball news we're not going to talk about what happened as a whole on tuesday night wednesday night whatever night that was when it was wednesday night but we will talk about gavin baxter uh he has torn his acl he's done for the year um that is what his third season ending injury in four years he it just really really sucks for him uh he um, just fought so hard to get back and, and to have him go out this way sucks and especially it, it hurts this team because right because we have not we have yet to find an offensive rhythm like we cannot hit the broad side of a barn shooting threes and i think it'll come right like it's not like they can't it's just something something is off and you know they they will figure it out but i mean it just was a a horrible horrible game uh i will say that i mean after there was like nick emery took a jab at the staff and then like so did jesse wade said well nick emery deleted it but jesse wade had copied it and he retyped it and then it got like retweeted by like connor harding and blaze neil everybody who had left byu and is now playing at uvu whatever i will say though that that game was very much like peak. Like that's why those games like that are why we love college sports, right? Like you could watching the game, you could tell the atmosphere there was awesome. It's probably the only time UVU has ever sold out a game, right? The only time students have actually dressed up wearing green to actually cheer for (laughs) UVU, but the environment was cool. Like obviously that was a big deal and a very memorable thing for all of those players for on UVU's team. So very cool for them. I just hate that we had to be the ones on the other side of that. I didn't really care. Like, I mean, and part of that is because like nobody's surprised it's a basketball loss. But even as like if I put on my basketball fan hat, that loss really doesn't mean anything. You know what I mean? Like it really doesn't. And all of the shade from the players who uh, once played for BYU, that's great. Like I, I'm glad you got your moment. And you feel like you have revenge. BYU dropped four spots in Kempa. You know, BYU's still going to play in the tournament this year. They're still a very good team. They're still going to go on to do much bigger and better things than UVU. But yeah, I mean, they lost. UVU beat them. And, and really, UVU loves to play ugly basketball. And so they dictated the terms of that game and they won the way that UVU likes to win. And that's awesome. So I'm happy for those guys. I think the shots are, are like kind of funny. Like, like really this loss isn't going to derail BYU season one iota. It's a blip on the radar and and nobody really cares. Like the Tennessee Titans are, I think they're the one seed in the AFC. They lost to the jets earlier this year, right? Like the jets, 
our beloved Jets. So bad green teams beating good blue teams. The it blue happens. team will still end up as a one seed. That's what you're telling me. <laughs> well, more or Jeff less. Jeff is yeah. predicting a one seed. I am. No, but like the BYU is fine. Joe Lenardi did his updated bracketology, which I think is just asinine in December. Uh, BYU seed didn't change. Six, seven seed. Like they're still whatever they were. They're, it's still the same. So uh, great UVU. You got your win. Good for you, Nick Emery, taking shots. Uh, here's the thing. Connor Harding didn't do a damn thing no. last year. Blaze kneeled. Like that was, I don't you think played he in blowouts. Played. Yeah. Right. Like great. Good for you. Uh, who else was there? Nick, uh, Connor Harding, Nick Emery. Like, I, I just don't care. Like I'm, if this is their moment, then good for them. Like I'm, I'm happy for them, but this is not, this is this, if this is your moment, that's a pretty crappy moment right? because this is a, this is a speed bump for BYU. And at the end of the day, UVU, even if they don't go on to win the whack and it ends up being a bad loss, Duke lost to Mercer, you know, like in the tournament uh, that didn't like flip the script. Mercer is still Mercer and Duke is still Duke. And for forever, BYU will still be BYU and UVU will still be UVU. And congratulations to Connor Harding. You got your win. Jesse Wade, you didn't even get the win, but congratulations at your dig to the coaching staff. At the end of the day, it just comes across as a little bit bitter, but I'm happy for him. I really, truthfully, I am. I'm happy yeah. for him. And, and UVU, their one loss was to Boise State, the first game of the season. They got beat bad, but now they've <laughs> won seven straight. Like it's not, and I know they haven't played anybody, right? They played a couple of Big West teams. They beat Pepperdine. They played Idaho, whatever, but they, I mean, they got a few games left and the whack isn't that great of a league and they could make some noise, right? Like they're going to finish probably with a pretty good record and they may not be a half bad squad. And so it's not, this is very much still to be determined how bad of a loss this is, right? Like, I mean, this could go for all we know, UVU could run the table, win the whack and end up like 32 and one. Right. And it's no, you know, no matter what you do, if you win seven games straight, you're a halfway decent ball club. Doesn't matter who you play. And so yeah. they, uh, it, it's, I mean, it's behind us. You got a, you know, another big game coming up with Weber state, Missouri state. Those are both games where it's like, we got to tighten it up and just play better offensively. Um, but we don't need to, I mean, there are more takeaways of what we need to fix on our end than anything that you did. Right. It's like focus on what you can control. And really we just need to start, playing better and we're going to have to figure out how to start playing some more small ball because we are lacking big men at the moment, especially with Baxter going down. Yeah. Um, Atiki Ali Atiki, you're up brother. Let's do it. Yep. Uh, Bulls. obviously the big news uh, today in a little bit, uh, the, we got a couple conference championship games kicking off and it's championship weekend. Wait, is there more than one? Uh, I don't. I thought it was well, just Utah. I thought it was just the Pac-12 tonight. Well, oh, that's the consolation game. But you know, ah. I, the, here's a funny thing. So I talked to a friend. I I reached out to a friend, uh, a tweet about Utah fans, and he is a big UCLA fan. He covers a lot of UCLA, like has a lot of overlap. And I was like, dude, I need a heat check on this. 
it is only one out of 12 fan bases in the Pac-12 that need like that is very upset about the national meme. Like BYU fans joked about it, but on Saturday night, every single national writer was making jokes about BYU being the real Pac-12 champion. Yeah. And it wasn't like this was not something that originated from Spencer and Jerem on BYU Sports Nation. Right. You know, when writers from the athletic are doing it, freaking like you got Dennis Dodd and Andy Staple and like Pete Thamel, like everybody who's everybody in college football national media is talking about this. And he was like, Yeah, no, not a single other people who said he was like, Utah fans are so weird. I do not understand it. And it's Ugh. the just the over the top, like offense to it. And also the, uh, what was the one stupid tweet that I saw? I was like, oh, well, since you guys lost to Mountain West Boise State, I guess that means your last place in the Mountain West, which good job self-owning. You're 0-1 versus the Mountain West there, Utah. So <laughs> yeah, we, we hold the tiebreaker. Yes. Yeah, so I don't being one in one. So I don't, I, it's uh, people can't laugh. The most ridiculous thing is the fact that it was like, so that it is some, I've seen BYU fans called hypocritical or uncompassionate because of everything that happened with uh, Ty Jordan and Aaron Lloyd, like, or not Aaron Lloyd, Aaron, what was his last, Aaron Lowe um, and Devin Lloyd. Um, And it's like, I get it. Okay. Utah rallied around those two did. Those are tragic, horrible events. They should have never happened. The team greatly responded to those and rattled off and Utah is playing damn good football right now. Okay, they've kind of figured out enough at quarterback. They got what what's his face? The running back Thomas is running very well. Their defense is playing good, better than they were at the beginning of the season. They're very much dialed in right now and playing very inspired off of the results of those games, of those tragedies. That's fine. Me cheering against Utah has nothing to do with those. Not it is a- not like and to say that BYU fans are oh the typical hypocritical Mormons who you know you say you care about people want to be more Christ-like but it's your I've seen people used to like dancing on their graves no it has nothing to do with that right it's and I do not understand where that comes from but it is bizarre to me but Bean, Bean Mace said it best on Twitter in response to somebody he said. Me hoping that Utah gets their dick stomped in the Pac-12 championship game and caring for people and feeling bad for those people who were involved can be two separate things. Yeah. I like dick stomped. <laughs> that was my takeaway from this. Is That's what I said to Bean too, but man, that sounds painful. I don't, I never want that to happen, but we, so I guess we can run down our, uh, we will have our predictions, I guess, of this, but let's talk about bowl scenarios. Um, it is likely. So there is still a chance that BYU sneaks in to the new year six. I think it is more likely now, the more I've thought about it, it is more likely now than I thought it was at the beginning of the week. Um, it pretty much a hinges entirely on three games happening and those three games or I guess four games it it really really depends on three the two that has time is like since he has to beat Houston because if Houston gets into the Peach Bowl or Fiesta Bowl because they knock off Cincy then that's a non-starter because I don't think they would drop Cincinnati all the way out of the top 10 
right. unless they got absolutely blown up. If Houston beats them by 40 points, then maybe, but right. But if it's, um, so Houston, Cincinnati needs to win and get into the playoff. Uh, if they don't get into the playoff, oh, and then Michigan has to take care of business against Iowa. They can't, we can't have Iowa steal a bid there. Um, and then it would really help as much as it is if Utah wins tonight because, and maybe if you're listening to this on Saturday, you know the result, because that gives us the strength of schedule bump. And obviously Oklahoma State needs to take care of business against Baylor. Um, now, because what we need to happen is Utah beats Oregon, that clears, that kind of clears up some room, but Utah doesn't necessarily have to beat Oregon, but it really helps if they do. Mm-hmm. because in terms of the at large, like numbers, it, if you organs in front of us, then, and they win the pac 12, then that moves the threshold for being an at large from like 10 to 11, if they're or, or 11 to 12, whatever. But if Utah wins and they're behind us, then it's like, we have to move from, we have to be number 10, but if Oregon just lost, then they drop below us. And so we, everyone slides up one, like it doesn't really matter there. Um, but Utah winning and Utah State knocking off San Diego State, that would give us two games that against were two wins against conference champions. And Utah State, if they beat San Diego State, they could end up ranked in the top 25, being the Mountain West champ, because that would be they'd be 11 and two with the win over a top 25 team in their conference championship game. And so they could, you know, they could pull that out. And that would having Utah have that win could be enough of a nudge, depending on what happens in the Oklahoma state game to where they say, Hey, Baylor, we're going to drop you two spots and Oklahoma or Oregon, you lost and BY Baylor. We're going to stick you one behind BYU because Utah spanked Oregon again. So we think that BYU win over Utah transitively shows that they're better. We slide in and get that last spot. And that's what happens earlier today. I said, Twitter that it is inter that they're interchangeable of Bama or Oklahoma State in the playoff. And from a bid number standpoint, that is correct. Because right now, Bama and Georgia are in the playoff. If it was today, and Oklahoma and Ole Miss would be getting the automatic bid to the Sugar Bowl for the SEC. If you take Bama out of the playoff and put Oklahoma State in. Now, instead of, you know, four and five, you know, instead of four being Bama and five being Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State's in the playoff. Now, Bama is the automatic bid, and that flips Ole Miss to being an at-large, and then Baylor's one behind them, and Baylor goes from being an at-large to being in the Sugar Bowl. So, which, so in terms of where the cutoff is of bids, that would make sense. But then at that point, if that were to happen, and that's what I was saying is like those in terms of that cutoff, needs to happen where that happens doesn't change things, but it would depend on how far Baylor moves. And then if that happened, we would have to jump Sparty, which maybe is possible if it's splitting hairs between BYU and Sparty and the Fiesta Bowl committee calls Gary Barta and says, Hey, look, uh, we would sell a heck of a lot more tickets if BYU is in town. So can you come up with some reason to like, make that tiebreaker and put them ahead because it would really help us out. Maybe I don't know if that'll happen, but it's, I think there's like four games. If there are five things that happen, I am confident that BYU would be in the Fiesta Bowl. Okay. 
those things, obviously Cincinnati needs to beat Houston soundly. So that way Cincinnati gets into the playoff. Oregon, Utah needs to beat Oregon soundly. So that way our win against Utah looks very, very good. Oklahoma state needs to beat Baylor badly, but not so bad that it pushes them into the playoff because we need Baylor to just drop below us and, and Oklahoma state to stay at five. And then it would really help if Alabama beats Georgia. So that way Alabama and Georgia both go to the playoff. I, if those four things happen, we're going, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't know that all four of those are happening because I kind of think that Houston will beat Cincinnati straight up. Cincinnati hasn't been great. They have, they, they looked like they had finally put it all together a couple of weeks ago against. So is Houston. Houston looks good, but then Cincinnati didn't look great again last week. They kind of went back to where they were for the three, four, five weeks before that. Uh, I don't, I don't hate that pick. I think if this were the end of the regular season, I could maybe see it, but I think since he maybe we'll get into picks, but I think that since he maybe got a shot in the arm this week, Luke fickle is their guy. He's there to stay. The Notre Dame job, one of the two perceived jobs that could have lured Luke Fickle, Mr. Ohio, Mr. Midwest, Mr. You know, he's very active in the Catholic Church. Like Ohio State, Notre Dame were the two rumored jobs that could potentially lure Luke Fickle away from Cincinnati. And one of them opened up. That's terrifying. But Luke Fickle, whether he, whether because he was not offered, or because he said, no, I have no idea, but he turned it down or he's not there. He's staying in Cincinnati. That's a shot in the arm. I think for a program, I I do think that is a shot in the arm and it is especially huge for them building and going into the big 12, right? Like if, if you got, if they got in to the playoff this year and did halfway, okay, you know, they're going to be able to build some things and hit the ground running much like TCU did when they joined the big 12 uh, coming off of that Rose Bowl victory. I think the biggest thing about the Notre Dame job is, and I need to change my too. So I said, you know, I don't follow Notre Dame much. I don't know a whole, I didn't know a whole lot about uh, Kelly and that I, I said like he was one of my favorite coaches. And I said that because what I said on Sunday of the, you know, like how I read about like how he totally retooled his coaching style because, and there was a big turnaround and the old dog taught himself new tricks and that's true. But then he also taught himself a new accent. Yes. He also taught himself a new accent and it is very damning that about what it was all but two assistants stayed behind to be with Marcus Freeman He's probably a shitty boss then. They don't like him. And I and I read more about uh, the student that died on his watch. And I didn't put a whole lot of stock into it, not just because I didn't know. Like, I was on my mission when it happened. I didn't know anything. Like, I'd seen people talk about it, but and I knew there was, like, a wrongful death case that got started. Like, I didn't know, like, what was just it was a tragic thing where – yeah, they're, all the protocols were fine. And then there was Augusta wind kit, you know, and it was just an accident, a truly an accident versus everything was pointing to no, don't do this. And he still forced it to happen anyway. Um, so that is obviously I've read more about that. So I'm changing my tune on Kelly because uh, yeah, apparently he's a real asshole because no one wants to work with him. And I think it's really interesting 
for Freeman because Freeman coached at Cincinnati last year. He was the he got Notre Dame hired him as their defensive coordinator this year. And after one year is getting promoted and they kept all the staff. So it is really interesting though, just because in uh, when I was listening to the college football inquirer this morning, they kind of talked about this, right? You don't realize, and we've talked about this too. It's like getting a good staff. It's all about like the right people, the right fit at the right time. And then you either get on a staff that's really good and you all move together and go through the ranks or and if you fall off of that, then you flounder until you find the right stuff. Like that's what we saw with Daryl Funk. He was at San Diego state. He's at Michigan. The Brady Hoke staff gets blown up when he gets fired from Michigan and everyone kind of goes their separate ways, trying to find another staff with cohesion. So Notre Dame, they took a risk on a 38 year old coach. who's only been there less than a year, but when you convince your offensive coordinator to stay with him and you convince most of the support staff, right? When you're talking about sports stuff, it's like, you got strength and conditioning, you have nutrition people, you have academic advisors, there's maybe anytime a coach gets hired at these P5 schools, there could be upwards of like 75 to 100 employees that you're talking about moving from one school to another. And if you can keep like 60, 70, 80 of them in place by promoting Marcus Freeman's, yeah, you're going to have the learning curve of a new head coach being like a first time head coach, but everything around him is very consistent. Like you rocked the boat on what was working pretty damn good as little as possible. Yeah. Mark Freeman, man, he he was a GA like seven years ago. Yeah, let me pull it up. His ascension is wild. Like Notre Dame, you know, right, wrong, I don't care, is perceived as one of the top. Uh, oh, I lied. He's only 35. I thought he was 38. He, he's young. Uh, so what? I mean, Notre Dame's probably a top 10 job, maybe higher than that across college football and we've argued about top jobs and what it means and blah, blah, blah. But the perception is that Notre Dame is a top, probably 10, would you say maybe 15 job out there? Yeah. This dude was, uh, he was a graduate assistant. I mean, that is, that is Gavin Fowler becoming a head coach of BYU in 2028. Yeah. So he graduated in 2009. He got drafted out of Ohio state. He got hurt, so his NFL career was cut short. Um, then he, the next season, 2010, he was a GA for one year under Luke Fickle at Ohio State. He then went to Kent State for two years as the linebackers coach, then moved to Purdue, where he was there for three years as the linebackers coach, got promoted to being the defensive coordinator in 2016. Luke Fickle gets hired at Cincinnati and brings him over as the defensive coordinator. He's there through 2020 and then moves to Notre Dame. Like, so this they, dude was, a, they could be in the playoff still. Like there's a legit scenario where Notre Dame is in the playoff this year. Right. If yeah. Cause you're talking, if Bama gets stomped by Georgia and Cincinnati loses, Notre Dame it's, could easily find them. And then and Baylor wins. Oh Yeah. If Houston, it's probably a shoe win at that. If Houston, Georgia, and Baylor win this tomorrow, then Notre Dame is going to yeah they're going to go into the playoff with an interim head coach. It's so an interim full time head coach. Yes. Well, yeah, not an interim. Yeah, a mid season change at coach. You know. (laughs) Yeah, it's super strange. Um, even outside of the New Year's Six, I just don't see BYU going to Shreveport. That will not happen. I just don't see it. And the only way I do see it happening is if there is a commitment from LSU to play in that bowl game. And that would kind of suck. Like, I I don't want to play LSU in Shreveport, but I I think it's possible. 
that 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 scenario plays out. I don't think it's likely, but it's possible. Uh, that's the only way I see BYU going to, to the Independence Bowl. So lots of things. We'll find out on Sunday. I mean, that's the good thing about this week is we don't have to wait until Tuesday for the playoff poll to come out. It all comes out on Sunday. So within 48 hours, we're going to have definitive answers of what is happening in BYU's future. That's a very, very good thing. Makes me excited. Um, Bronco is no longer the head coach. I know. The University it's so of strange. I have. We, we published the shortest and yet maybe the most important newsletter that we've ever published on Give Them Hell, Bring Them Today. And it can be summed up with this statement. Just because it came from Virginia does not mean it needs to come to BYU. This applies to coaches and players the same. Yeah. Yep. Coaches and players just the same. I, I, I am frustrated. Maybe I'm frustrated because so many people have asked me, well, what about coach so-and-so? What about player so-and-so? But I am frustrated. I am well, and, and that's where I'm going. I'm frustrated with this notion that BYU fans have that because there is a P5 label attached to Virginia, that they are inherently a better program than BYU. That is categorically false. BYU, say what you will, uh, maybe not five years ago, but today BYU has better coaches. They have more talent and they have a brighter future. Taking the scraps that will are now probably unemployed at Virginia do not necessarily improve BYU. They don't. I can't tell you how quickly people reached out to me within minutes of the news breaking and people immediately started, well, what about the McKenzie twins? I love the McKenzie twins. We've had the McKenzie twins on this show. I think they're great. If BYU could make it work, great. I don't think it's going to happen. That bridge, that bridge is more than burned. That bridge was, was torched. And so I don't think it's going to happen, but BYU doesn't need them. Like, look, Dom McKenzie is great. Do you know what happened? BYU didn't get Dom McKenzie this year. You know who they got? Cody Hagan. They're going to be okay without Dom McKenzie. Like I love Dom McKenzie, but they're going to be just fine without him. Uh, Joe Brown. Okay. Joe Brown, fine player. Great. Good for Joe Brown. Does BYU need Joe Brown? I don't think so. They have Peter Falanico. They have Vai Soifoa. They picked up Kingsley Suamatea. Like, BYU is a better program than Virginia. Hard stop. The only player that I would drop everything to try and get is Carson Gay. And that's, Carson not, good. that's not because BYU needs another tight end. Like, there's, they're loaded with tight ends. Bentley Redden is still, you know, in the pipeline. People kind of forget about him, right? Bentley Redden had a bunch of P5 offers and, and he's kind of an afterthought. Like that's how, that's how loaded the tight end position is. Noah Moyaki is going to be fantastic. BYU doesn't need another tight end. 
Uh, I think Carson Gay is Dennis Pitta 2.0. Like I, I, that's the future. That's what I see from him. I would drop everything to go and get for Carson Gay. But if they don't, BYU will still be okay. BYU is a better program in every way, especially with this Big 12 thing now, right? In every way, BYU is a better program than Virginia. Imagine if a coach, if the coaching staff at Indiana just all converted to the church today, and then they got back, they got baptized, and then they got fired. Would you be just jonesing and running as fast as you could to go and pick up the scraps of the Indiana coaching staff? Absolutely not, because BYU is better than Indiana. I know the affinity that people feel for Bronco, and I get it. But Bronco's not coming to be the defensive coordinator, and Bronco coming back and being the head coach is a downgrade. Every other, every other coach on that staff, people have said, well, what about Jason Beck? Jason Beck's great. Jason Beck, Brendan Armstrong. Yeah. Brendan Armstrong was good. Bryce Perkins has been great. Like Jason Beck is a very good coach. He's the only one I'd want on that staff on that staff. A-Rod produced Zach Wilson, Jaron Hall. We don't have to just take these scraps. The Kelly, own- Kelly Papinga is, is like a hot name. Everybody, for whatever reason, everybody has always wanted Kelly Papinga on staff. Like Justin Enna. Uh, it is, right? Like Justin Enna got hired at Utah, and all of a sudden Justin Enna became the, the, the apple of every BYU fan's eye. And then when he moved over to, to Utah State was the defensive coordinator, he was really the apple of everybody's eye. Of like, how can we get him back? Let's get him. Let's get uh, Justin Nen is a great guy, and, and maybe he has a very bright coaching career, but he is coaching at Dixie right now. Like, it's he not, at Dixie or is he at Eastern Washington still? I don't even know. He's at somewhere. He's at an FCS school. He's at an FCS school. I, I thought he was at Dixie, but maybe he is. Maybe he's still at EWU. I don't know. But, like, that's it. Like, Vic Soto is the hot name this year. I, I get it that Vic Soto is a hot name, and I think that he has a bright future. I do. I, I would uh, would I take Vic Soto on staff? Sure, I, I think it, I think that would be great, but I don't think he has done anything at USC this year to make me feel like he is some transcendent name that you fire coaches for in order to make room. Right, he had Drake Jackson this year, one of the best pure pass rushers in college football. And they were ranked 108th, I think, in the country in total sacks this year. That USC defense was alarmingly bad. In every metric, the USC defense sucked. So I I get that he's a name. I get that he's connected to BYU. And I, I understand the nostalgia of bringing back the former players. But Kalani tried that. He tried to have a staff of nothing but former players, and most of them were fired. That's it. And, and that is my big takeaway from Broncos stepping down is BYU fans, have some pride, have some self-respect. BYU is better than Virginia. Kalani is better than Bronco. Your coaches today that you have in Provo are proving to lead a program better than Bronco and his program. Period. Hard stop. That's it. That's all there is to say. 
And it's time to have some damn self-respect and acknowledge that. Quit begging for scraps. Quit begging for scraps. And the Kelly Papika thing is just like, and even with Jason back to it, maybe Jason would probably, I imagine with Brendan Armstrong, his name would come up around like some OC jobs, right? If you want to take the next step, it's like Kelly Papinga was been a co-defensive coordinator for damn near a decade. And he's never once reached out to want to go somewhere else. And he, you know, at least Vic, like Vic went out on his own. He said, Hey, I'm going to go try to get a job, right? I'm going to go be my own guy and try to do something else. But if it's, you know, if we bring in Vic, I'm fine with it. Right. But it's with position coaches, especially and it's the same way with Daryl Funk. People looked at his records and said, oh, he's been all over the place. You know, he, he was with Brady Hoke in Michigan, and Michigan sucked. Okay, well, people, before Michigan sucked, uh, Brady Hoke is pretty dang good at San Diego State. And there's so much of it that it is not just about being a coach. Like, there are very few, like, transcendent, like you said, co- position coaches. Jeff Grimes was one of those as an O-line coach. But he was just about the only one in the country because the rest is, okay, well, how good do you fit with your players' personalities once you get there? If you're taking over a situation and it's not guys that you recruited and you clash with the kids that, that are there, that's tough. If you, you know, if you walk, if you are Daryl Funk and you moved from San Diego State to Michigan and you with an offensive staff and you are okay there because you kind of you figured out the synergy and you work well together, once that gets blown up because your coach gets fired. And now you're taking any job you can. That's when coaches start to hop around. Like I was actually looking at this last night. So San San Jose State doesn't have a bad defense. Okay. Their linebackers coach, he's a young guy. He played at UCLA and was all Pac-12 or Pac-10. When he was the defensive line coach the entire time under Jim Moore was there. He coached at UCLA as a position coach for like eight years. Mm -hmm. And But once Moore got fired, he landed at San Jose State because you hit your wagon to that head coach. And then you bounce around until you end up pitching to another good head coach. And then when they get promoted, you go with them. That's how this game works. Like it's so I can be convinced that any position coach is good enough to hire. If Kalani says so, like if he says, no, this is the guy we need. I'll give him two years to see what he does. Right. Like it's, we are fine. We proved it with Daryl Funk. We proved it with A-Rod getting promoted. We saw, we've seen the receivers improve under Fessy. We've seen it with, AJ Stewart getting hired and then backing that up with promoting uh, Harvey Unga. Like we have seen the linebackers have played well this year with Clune coming in, right? We have seen it with Gennaro Guilford. We don't need BYU ties. Like the best hires that have come in the Kalani Satake era have been people without BYU ties. I mean, other than A-Rod, but it's like, okay, you have Funk, Mateos, Grimes, Pugh, AJ Stewart. None of them had any ties whatsoever to BYU before they got here. And well, other than gripes, right? But it's, you get what I'm saying? And so it's as position coaches, they had no ties to BYU and they've, they all did a really good job because they fit within the staff. And all of them, except for A-Rod, all of them have been promoted to come to BYU. This is important that they, they have, proven or that Kalani viewed them as the cream of the crop, right? The best of their level. And he gave them a promotion when he didn't do that. It was that first coaching staff that he just hired people. And that was bad. Right. A lot of that was because Ty Detmer was hired 
before Kalani was hired. Yeah. And the budget was limited and it was like, uh, all of that stuff. I guess I'll call it my friends. And so that all happened. And I don't want to get into that today. That's a, that's an April show topic, but all of that stuff happens. Right. But, but everybody since then has been promoted. So even Jeff Grimes, right. I want to go back to what you said. Jeff Grimes proved to be, uh, one of those transcendent coaches, a position coach who was, who was great. I, I don't, that's a little bit false, right? Like, yes, he was, but BYU wasn't pulling him to be the offensive line coach. They right. promoted him to be the offensive coordinator. And so if you take that mindset. But he had been picked off by correct. other P5 schools. Correct. So that's uh, a, yeah. If you take that mindset and you look at BYU and you look at Virginia's coaching staff, is there anybody on that coaching staff that you're willing to promote today? Jason Beck, I don't want him as my offensive coordinator today. Could he do it down the road? Sure. I think he could be great. Uh, but today, BYU has Aaron Roderick, and Aaron Roderick is an offensive coordinator. I will take him 100 times out of 100 over if, an unproven Jason Beck. If for whatever reason Air, we wanted to flip it back to have – when there's no reason to do this to where we have it slanted to where there's one more offensive coach than defensive coach – and we wanted to add a specifically add a quarterback sure. coach instead of everyone yeah. doing it, I would 100% take Jason back go, go because get he's a very good quarterback, but yep. I'm not going to replace. I'm not going to promote him to be the offensive coordinator. I, I, their receivers coach is not better than Fessy. Right. And it's there. It's every argument, right? Like two J would maybe be sixes with funk, but he has no rapport with the current, but, rest of the current staff. Right. And that's not the discussion, right? Like when you're looking at two J you really have to compare him to what Grimes was when he came over. Is is 2J the absolute best offensive line coach in his class? I don't think so. No. Grimes was. And in order to bring him over, you promoted him because that's how highly you thought of him. Right. If Funk leaves tomorrow and there's an opening, sure, go right. get a Garrett 2J. But I'm not firing somebody and messing with the camaraderie of the team just because somebody else is out there. And they came from a P5 school where Coach Frank was at Middle Tennessee, wherever he was. I don't even remember. That's They're not that good. They're just they're not. not. That good they could in, be down the road, but they're not today. And going with 2J, going from BYU to Virginia, and then now that staff getting blown up, he's probably going to go to another random low-level G5 school and his career path is going to look very similar five years from now. Like he is five years, six, eight years, whatever behind Daryl Funk. Yeah. And that's I what completely agree. And if he is good and then he will, you know, make it, he'll go, but it's right. Like I would rather go get a assuming, which I believe there will probably be one to two openings on the staff, maybe more. Uh, say there's two openings on the staff. I would much rather go get someone who is young and hungry or get, I would go promote an FCS defensive coordinator. Yeah. Make like it a do, promotion. do what we did with the offense where the offense really started clicking when we brought in a new coordinator, but then three of the four other position coaches, you know, when you had Fessy as receivers, a rod with quarterbacks and Steve Clark with the tight ends had all been coordinators at another yeah. school. Like give me game planning experience or someone who's young and hungry and will just pound pavement recruiting like AJ Stewart. And even coach Clune, same story, former defensive coordinator brought on, like go find somebody who has been in charge of things. Don't just bring me somebody else who was somebody's employee. 
Don't make it a lateral. That's not what that, that, that isn't me, what it is. And it's a, the same a healthy mix of young and hungry and old and wise. And it's the, it's a good way to put it. And it's the same story for the players, right? Like uh, everybody wants to talk about Andrew Gentry. BYU is going to be fine without Andrew Gentry. Like they are. And I get it. Like BYU will probably give him a phone call. And if he comes, we will hype the hell out of it. It will be a great recruiting win. But when he was not coming, right, when he was gone and everybody knew he was going to BYU because that, or to, to Virginia because that's where Bronco was, how did BYU respond? They got Blake Freeland, coached him up. They picked up Kingsley. They've coached him up, right? Like, BYU's going to be just fine, you guys. We don't have to just be so desperate for these very few players. There are so many opportunities out there. If BYU next year lands uh, Spencer Fano, I, I'm not going to think twice about Andrew Gentry. I'm really not. Like I, I won't. I wouldn't. If if there's ever a time that I have Kingsley and Spencer Fano and Andrew Gentry in the program, Andrew Gentry's playing left guard. Right. I'm not even going to think twice about it. BYU is much better than I think BYU fans give them credit for. Now, I, and I'm not talking about just records, but like quality of the program. BYU is better than we realize. And I think. Put some respect just, on our name. It is right. Like it, it, it's almost frustrating. And again, maybe I get frustrated because it's seconds. Like I, I, I could predict where the questions are going to come from. It's seconds after news hits every time. Well, what does this mean for such and such and so and so guys? BYU is a better program. If Alabama loses the number one recruit in Texas, they don't respond by saying, well, damn it, I hope they come back to the transfer portal one day and then we can pounce on them. They go and they get the number two recruit. And that's what BYU has done. Like, okay, hey, Andrew Gentry left. Fine. We'll go get the next big time tackle. And they do it. Like BYU isn't Utah State that there are three guys who maybe are highly rated that have a connection to Utah state and they have to go all in. And if they don't get those three guys, then they're going to have to just get Chuko and transfer portal bounce backs. That is not what BYU's life is. It's not. And I, I just think that it's time to start thinking like that. Hey, freaking men. Um, Real quick, official visits do kick off this weekend. I mean, the early signing period is less than two weeks away, which is a little bit crazy. December 15th is when that opens up. Uh, big weekend this weekend for BYU recruits. Really, I guess they're probably starting right now. They're probably starting to arrive. Uh, this weekend, from what I hear, it's mostly the committed players who are going to be there. Uh, I think all of them. Everybody who is currently a commitment in the class of 2022 will be on campus for their official this week. Next week, anybody who, not anybody who, the, the name players that I've heard so far, uh, I think Keontae Scott is planning an official for next week. That would be a big deal. Uh, he would immediately push for starting reps at corner next year. Nathan Kent, a familiar name to those who have followed recruiting. He was offered forever ago. It kind of fell off the radar. They've been trying to get him on a visit and and i think that there's some optimism that it's happening next week he's got some chris wilcox in him 6 180 pounds he ran i think a 10 i don't have notes in front of me 
I think he ran a 10-7 or a 10-8 as a junior, and and he felt slow. I, I think he can push that to 10-6. You're 6-2 and you run a 10-6. Like, yeah, that's the kind of flyer you want to take, right? He's got offers from Navy and UNLV and a bunch of FCS offers. He's a very different type of project. Like, he is the Ed Lamb, right? We've talked about this for the last few weeks. The Ed Lamb model. That's what BYU should be doing with the Ed Lamb model. Go get guys who maybe wouldn't consider BYU on the surface, but they're considering other schools. They have other options, and they're, they're, they're talented. And go find that guy, bring him to BYU, plug him into Gennaro's development and the scheme, and then maybe you've really got something. That doesn't mean go to the basketball court and find the guy who's the tallest and has long arms and expect him to become J.J. Watt. That, 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 that's nuts. Like That happens once in a blue moon, and yet it seems to be a staple in BYU's recruiting classes. But like guys like Nathan Kent and Chris Wilcox, that's the kind of, uh, that's the kind of project that if Ed Lamb, and I'll give him all the credit in the world, if that's the kind of project that they're bringing in, uh, that's going to work. You're going you're gonna to hit more often than not. And when you miss, you're going to miss high. So you're going right. to miss, and you're still going to have a player who would have been serviceable at UNLV. Like, no, that's not going to win you any championships, right? But that is going to be better than taking the walk-on from Pleasant Grove to play corner. So I, I think that that's, that's a good project. Those are the two official visits that I've heard. Uh, so far, so commits this week. Those guys next week, probably Lee Ty. I haven't confirmed that, but I bet you he's there next week as well. Um, the last thing we have on our agenda, this Kalani, the, the pay Kalani movement. Do you feel like we should get a, um, a commission? A commission, yeah. Like, should we get some of the fee for this? Yeah. If if Kalani gets extended, like it sounds like he's going to, in a matter of days even, I feel like I, I deserve a cut. You deserve a cut. The entire Give Him Hell Brigham family deserves a cut. Yeah, and it sounds like uh, talks are going well. Um we don't know any concrete information that we can share publicly, but if you come sign up, they give them and join us on the discord. There has been a bevy of talks around this amongst other things. Uh, but I would say that all is well in Zion. I would phrase it that what, way. What a weird word bevy is. I don't know where that came from. Well, my wife and I use bevy as a, uh, the Valley girl abbreviation for a beverage. Oh, I need a bevy. <laughs> yeah. Go get me a bevy. I mean, obviously we know the real word. It means a lot, but it's such a weird word. Um, I want to ask See, you, I'm going to look up the etymology of bevy. <laughs> do you buy into the notion that Bronco Mendenhall is going to be a mission president? And that's no. why he stepped down. no, is that not the biggest like folklore BYU? That is like the most BYU ass thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I just don't, maybe down the road, but my word, like this idea seems a little far-fetched. No, like it's, so he legitimately, nobody on his staff knew it was happening until 
Yeah, like it, until it happened. And he, he was out taking pictures with Carson Gay, speaking of Carson, on Tuesday. Like he was in Carson Gay's house taking pictures. This, people are going to blast me for this. They're going to disagree. I think that this move, I appreciate Bronco's principles. And I, I think he does a really good job of sticking to those principles, which is great. Everybody should. I think we can all learn that lesson. I also think he does a pretty good job of there's a fine line between being principled and being selfish in this scenario. Yeah. And if I am a player, if I'm a coach, if I'm, anybody who has followed Bronco to Virginia, this feels more, this is tough for me, man. Like this feels like more betrayal than Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame players to go take a different job and make a ton of money. Yeah. I don't, in that it's obviously part of the territory, right? As I've said, like four times this episode that it's you hit your wagon to your head coach. And when your head coach decides to retire, it's there, but normally when a head coach decides to retire, it's known in advance. And there's and a succession plan. There's in a place. succession plan in place. And it's, you know, you don't end up scrambling to try like, to find somebody. Snoop Mama. That's another one. No, guys, I don't think BYU is gonna suddenly like pull up everything. They get Snoop Mama. They they moved on initially. They're gonna continue to have moved on anyway. Snoop. Um he was on an official visit last week to Virginia. He was being recruited. He was being courted by everybody. Bronco had to have some sort of an inkling that this was happening. Like I, it, he doesn't just wake up on, on what was it yesterday? He doesn't just wake up on Thursday morning and be like, you know what? I'm going to retire. He's way too methodical of a person to do that. If I'm Snoop and who may have committed to Virginia over the weekend, I certainly think if he hadn't, he was going to. I'm pretty pissed off. Yeah. Because, man, that feels like, okay, at least I could wrap my head around my coach going to get more money. Still selfish, still annoying, but that's the business. But you were selling me on the future and telling me how great everything is, and you were telling me that I needed to come and play for you only to 48 hours later, not only did you leave, you just walked away. You weren't fired. You didn't get promoted and go somewhere else. You just left. And so again, I know that people are going to think that I'm being pretty harsh because principles are hard. It's hard to, you know, whatever. And I'm not going to sit here and debate whether it was, you know, a prompting and revelation. I think he actually talked about that in his, his little exit speech. And I, I appreciate that. And, and that's, that, that's awesome. I would feel as a player or one of his assistant coaches, I would feel very, very much let down. Like think of Robert and I, I would feel like Robert and I has hitched his wagon to Bronco has turned down opportunities to be with Bronco and had no idea this was happening. I would feel, and now he's going to get fired. Like he's Robert and I has controlled the offense. I could promise you whoever that new head coach is, no matter how good they are or how good Robert and I is, 
I can promise you Virginia's new head coach is not going to just turn over the keys to the kingdom the way that Bronco did. Right. Robert and I will have to adjust or he's going to be fired and probably the latter. If I'm Robert and I, and I was willing to follow Bronco so far, I feel pretty betrayed today. Especially, yeah, without any warning. Um, yeah, that's tough. There is one person that I would want to bring over. Hey, this is my public call for them. Uh-oh. Kalani, Uh-oh. I am assuming that the pending that we are hopeful for contract negotiation extension will include greater support staff. And I am also assuming that that support staff will include a position allocated for a director of football analytics. And for that position, the person that we do need to hire is Matthew Edwards, the grandson of Lavelle Edwards, who was the DFA at Virginia, because we don't have one of those right now and we need one. Well, and if nothing else, we need the Lavelle vibes back. Yes. Bring those home. That's the missing piece to the puzzle. If Matthew Edwards prediction, if Matthew Edwards is announced in any capacity at BYU between now and Sunday, they will go to the New Year's Six. Ooh, that's we are you're manifesting this. That's prophecy. There almost. would if you had typed this on our Discord, there would be at least 70 people responding saying, I believe in all caps immediately. I believe that's what I, I, this is, but there's, there's contingencies, right? It has to happen in 48 hours before the committee makes their stuff. I don't think it's going to, but if it does new year six for BYU, because the football gods will bless us with the power of Lavelle. He's, I almost he, called him the pride of the Wasatch, but that's the band. Yeah, so we hate the band. <laughs> <laughs> the power of Lavelle will run through us and run through the committee. He is the only way. Uh, the other news, I did announce that if BYU gets to a New Year's Six Bowl, Wyanon will be disbanded. Wyanon will be disbanded because be no more. for us to get to a New Year's Six Bowl, it would require most likely the committee choosing to yeah. put us in front of Baylor who kicked our trash. And so the question becomes this, Garrett, if that happens, did Wyanon succeed and break the cabal or did the cabal lure Wyanon into the cabal? That's the question that people want answered. Right. I don't know that answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know that answer, but we have time to think about it. Uh, this has been a fun show, Garrett. It has been very fun. It's the off season again, and I know that it's not. There's a bowl game, there's recruiting, there's basketball. But the things that make Give Em Hell Brigham great are Jeff and Garrett and just conversation between two dudes and our friends. And that's what this is. I love our shows during the off season. We're, we're, we're getting there. We are sadly, we are almost there. I love our shows during the off season, but I love everything about the season more. Yeah. It has been a good episode. We know this is late. Uh, let's go through. Let me pull up. We have 10 games to enjoy. Well, technically 11 because apparently USC and Cal are going to play a football game tomorrow. Will anybody, uh, will anybody be there? No. Oh, no. um, so parents. 
We have two games tonight. We have the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers are a three and a half point favorite on the road at the UTSA Roadrunners in the Alamo Dome. That's starting in 12 minutes here. So by the time I, people listen to this, we're just going to, they're going to know the result. I'm going to go with the Hilltoppers. I think that UTSA just ran out of gas. I think they ran out of gas and their defense will struggle with the, their offense can't, won't, they'll struggle to keep up. Western Kentucky is really interesting case. Uh, they hired an offensive coordinator from FCS Houston Baptist who used utilized the one-time transfer rule to bring his quarterback and top three receivers with him. So they hired a new OC, but did not have to do a from scratch install and got an instant, instant upgrade in production because everyone who's throwing the ball around already knows, knows what's going on. Uh, I agree on the Hilltoppers. Also tonight, uh, Utah is a three-point favorite over Oregon. I don't know that Oregon will – Oregon's run defense is suspect, and they don't have a great quarterback who's going to be able to push the ball downfield. And I just think it is a bad – I think the two teams are probably similar in terms of quality if they were to play round robin of the national stage. But matchup-wise – this is just not a good matchup for Oregon, and Utah's probably going to win. I think I agree with that. I am pretty sure that Utah wins. I don't think they win in the same fashion that they won a few weeks ago, but I do think they win, and here's why I think this. I think that the Rose Bowl means so much to Utah, and as it should but it means so much to Utah and they've come so close that Whittingham is going to have his team inspired. And I also think that the year that Utah finally gets to a Rose bowl is, is going to be the year that BYU beat them and maybe gets to a new year six bowl by themselves. And it will just be like this. I don't know, man. It will. It will be worlds colliding. Like for Utah fans, I think that would be really hard because they've said all along, I will trade a BYU loss to go to the Rose Bowl. And here they are. They have that opportunity. But what if that loss meant that, because this would be BYU's signature win, what if that loss meant that BYU also gets to taste, not roses, but tortillas or sugar whatever it is i don't know what it is peaches peaches yeah um i mean because here's the thing locally if both of those teams are in a new year six bowl who's getting more coverage locally going into that game it, byu gets more coverage when we're four and nine <laughs> <laughs> it will just be like the ultimate hey congratulations you made it to the rose bowl we don't care it's the secondary story. We don't care. And the only reason BYU would be there getting more coverage is because of that loss that you said you would trade in order to get to the Rose Bowl. The poetic justice of all of this is going to make one hell of a newsletter if this all comes to It finish. will make one hell of a newsletter, and we will get to this. The next game we want to talk about, on the road in Carson, <laughs> San Diego State is a six-point favorite over the Utah State Aggies. So there is a possible scenario where Utah State upsets number 19 San Diego State 
they win the Mountain West. They go to whatever bowl game that entitles them to. I think it's the Los Angeles Bowl now. Um, and they they win that game, they'd finish 12 and 2. They would probably be ranked. BYU goes to the Fiesta Bowl. No matter what happens, BYU's going to finish ranked. No matter probably no matter what happens, Utah's going to finish ranked unless they lose tonight and lose their bowl game. There's a scenario where you could have the Mountain West champ, the Pac-12 champ, and then two new uh, independent BYU and Utah both in New Year's Six Bowls, and that would probably be the best single season for the in state as a whole ever. Um, and that would be pretty cool. Like there is a possibility in the future where you could have Utah as a consistent Pac-12 power, BYU is consistently at the top of the Big 12. And as long if Blake Anderson decides to stick his tent down in Logan for good, I think Utah State could become a decent program consistently in the Mountain West. And that would be really good for the state and pretty cool to say, hey, yeah, we play a lot of good football in Utah and we're at the top of three different leagues. Um, so what do you what is your take on what do you think is going to happen in Carson, an hour and a half from San Diego State's campus? As a home game, Utah State is. I don't think San Diego State has the offensive juice. They're playing a backup quarterback. I don't think they have the offensive juice to keep up. It's a great, great defense that the Aztecs have, but I think Utah State can score. I like them to cover. If they don't win, I like them to cover. But I think they win. Yeah, I um, I think Utah State can pull this off. They will need at least one big long play, right? San Diego State has a very grinded out defense, but Utah State is probably is the best offense that they've played. And Devin Tompkins is a really good receiver, yeah. and they can pull this off. But it's they're going to have to get connect on a couple big plays, and they can do that. Um, so, but they will need those to make a difference, but I think San Diego state probably wins, but I will not be surprised if Utah state pulls it off uh, tomorrow morning in the Mac championship. We have Kent state in Northern Illinois. I guarantee you, you did not even know that that was the matchup. I have, <laughs> I have no idea on this game. Although I'm going to take Northern Illinois, even though they're a three and a half point dog, just because they're playing at home. <laughs> I honestly have not a clue. I did see that. I think six of their or seven uh, Northern Illinois is eight and four. I think six or seven of their eight wins have come with them taking a lead in the last minute of the game or overtime. How weird. So I, I think the cardiac Huskies are going <laughs> to get it done. Uh, Bay, Oklahoma state is a six point favorite over the number nine Baylor bears for us to go to the Fiesta bowl. If that is or the peach bowl, uh, we got to have Baylor drop behind us because we got to clear some stuff out. And so we need Oklahoma state to win. And I think their defense is good enough. The Oklahoma defense, like will just suffocate the Baylor offense and they will not be able to run the balls. They need to, and it's going to put a lot of pressure on Gary Bohannon. I agree. I agree. I think that's the answer. Um, I have to, my wife has texted me. And so I'm not really paying attention right now. Because I am, I've been instructed to DoorDash dog food. Oh, and the okay. problem here is that I live in a new subdivision, and DoorDash likes to send all of my stuff, not to me. Mm. They send it to nine ninety five North. I'm thirteen ninety five North. 
It's only 40 blocks away, whatever. <sighs> four blocks away, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, App State and Louisiana Lafayette. I think App State probably wins because Louisiana is coachless. I mean, they. He finally took a job. I I like Billy Napier, at Florida, a lot. And I agree with you. App State wins today. But is Billy coaching? I think he said he's coaching. I, he yeah, is coaching. State. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I still, I still like. Uh, I still like App. Let's see. Then number one Georgia and number three Alabama. Uh, it would really help BYU if Alabama wins this game because Alabama winning this game would basically guarantee that Oklahoma State does not get into the playoff. I am a believer that all of these incestuous SEC schools like do each other favors and scratch each other's backs, even though they claim they hate each other. I think that this is a game that JT Daniels maybe could start for Georgia, but they're going to go ahead and start Stetson Bennett just because he's not as good. I think that you're going to see Alabama maybe, or uh, Georgia, maybe looking out for their Alabamian brothers and allow them to win, therefore solidifying two SEC teams in the playoff. Okay. And I think Greg Sankey probably had a call with Nick Saban and Kirby Smart and said, hey, don't make it look like it's on purpose, but make this happen i mean i'm being facetious but i'm also why and on it's we are now on the inside of the cfp cabal <laughs> uh houston is a 10 and a half point dog on the road at cincinnati um i could we see talked. Houston straight we talked about this i could see houston beating them straight up i think houston covers but cincinnati wins 10 and a half points is a lot yeah i agree and the crap fest uh acc championship Wake Forest and Pitt. Pitt is a three and a half point favorite. Who you got? You got the Sam Hartman and the weird, the Wake Forest offense, which is really weird, or Kenny Pickett in the flying Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Pirates, Pittsburgh Panthers. Um, I'm going to go with Pitt because I like their jerseys better. But what a shitty ACC champion in the conference that has Clemson, Florida State, Virginia Tech, Miami. You know, if Pitt wins and BYU ends up in the Fiesta Bowl, it would be also semi-poetic that the first time BYU goes to a quote-unquote BCS game is in the Fiesta Bowl against a bad Pitt, against the worst P5 champion who's Pitt. That would be. That would That's, be kind of know, like Also, a, we're coming full circle here. This is weird. And lastly, Michigan and Iowa. Michigan's an 11-point favorite. I think they are going to steamroll them. And that I also did, needs to happen. If Iowa beats Michigan, that's also a non-starter for BYU. I agree. Because that because they would steal the bid to the Rose Bowl. I think Michigan wins. However, if Iowa wins and Utah wins, and it's a Utah-Iowa Rose Bowl, uh, how many times will we see the gif of the or the meme of the two Spider-Man dudes looking at each other? Because uh, Utah is as much Western Iowa as Iowa is Eastern Utah. These two programs, both run by old school guys who have been there forever, run a pretty boring offense, have a lot of defense. Like they are the same program. Yeah. I... But Michigan wins, so it's a. Michigan is going to win. I Harbaugh's got them cooking. You know, hat, major hats off to Jim Harbaugh because Michigan looked bad last year, and he, he figured it out, and they are playing really dang good. They're probably and, going to the playoff. And I, I loved his subtle jab, not so subtle jab at Ryan Day of like, hey, some people who were 
born on third base think they hit a triple. I don't really know what provoked the comment, but I mean, yeah, that absolutely describes Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley and those guys who just inherited powerhouse programs. Yeah. Um, so I think, so what do we run down last time? Everything we need to happen. We need Cincinnati to beat Houston. We need Iowa to beat Michigan. We probably need Utah to beat Oregon. It would really help if Utah State beat San Diego State. And we need Oklahoma State to beat Baylor but not so bad that they play their way into the playoff. Yeah, last-minute field goal. And we need, but no, like, soundly. They need to be, like, 10 points. Not good enough that they go into the playoff and they jump anybody, but also not close enough that it's like mm, they can't justify right. dropping Baylor. Right, we got to it, it's a fine line there. And we probably really would really help if Bama knocks off Georgia. So like a lot the Utah things. State was iffy. So there's five games. We got to go five and zero, oh, just like we went five and zero oh against the Pac-12 South, and or five and zero oh against the Pac-12, I guess, and uh, six and one against P5 overall. So we went five and zero oh against Pac-12. We got to go five and zero oh again this weekend. And if that oh, happens, wait, we we have last last second news that's sort of breaking as we've been recording. It hasn't officially happened yet, but Mario Cristobal and Miami is apparently happening. Oh, it's happening because we here's saw... the breaking news. 41 minutes ago, Miami closing in on Clemson's athletic director and Oregon coach Mario Cristobal. And the only thing Cristobal said was that his future decision will not be made about money. Interesting, because these uh, where was it? A couple hours ago, it said source at Oregon confirms that or let's what time was this? I saw this and I thought, at, oh, that was at one sixteen. So four hours ago, source at Oregon confirms that University of Oregon has a contract extension offer in front of Mario Cristobal. It is aggressive and in line what we've seen this week per source. Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley dollars. So he's gone. This is this is all of the makings of he's gone. And uh, with that looming over the heads of the Oregon football players. This actually goes, I think, to help BYU quite a bit because they're a little distracted. Their coach is kind of checked out. He goes to Miami, which have they even officially fired Manny Diaz? No. <laughs> He's still employed. <laughs> so if that happens, Utah wins, but the committee says, well, yeah, Utah won again, but their coach was gone. So it looks good for BYU. They beat the Pac-12 champ. But also, the committee says, yeah, they're the Pac-12 champ, but yeah, they're their Pac-12 champ. Yeah. The, uh, and, other, and lastly, shout out. Uh, the game will probably know the result by the time you listen to this. Shout out to the Lady Cougs on the soccer pitch. They will kick off at 6.30 or 7.30 Mountain tonight on ESPNU against Santa Clara in the Final Four of the Women's College Cup. Uh, Anytime BYU goes to the final four in anything, that is awesome. They played uh, Santa Clara once this season and they lost 0-1. So, but they can do it. They can, you know, they've played well. Uh, Listen, they, they knocked off on the road in Virginia. They knocked off number one overall seed Virginia one to zero. So the Cougs, the Lady Cougs can play with anybody. I, I want this to be perfectly clear to everybody. Garrett is reading these facts as, as he says them. 
he has no idea if the women's soccer team can actually play with anybody. They beat the number one overall team. Yeah, they're I seventeen that- and four, and their only conference loss was zero and one. Can you name a to- Can you name a single player? Don't look it up. Can you name <laughs> a single player? Uh, there's probably somebody with last name Smith or like Rasmussen or Sorensen or Michaela, Michaela Coulihan. Oh yeah. That's the girl I was thinking of. She's been around for a long time. <laughs> no, she has not. She's uh, just got Jesse. Wade, I know Jesse Wade's younger sisters on the team. I know that, but you don't know her name. Her last name could not even be Wade. And you would, I mean, you can't speak to that. Uh, yeah, that's true. So, uh, James Empey's James younger sister is also on the team. <laughs> well, Garrett might be telling us the truth. He has no clue that he's telling us the truth. This is true. I'm going on. But, Jeff, and lastly, lastly, I do have good news <laughs> for you. I looked up the history of the word bevy, ah. and the origin of it is not fully known, but it is believed one supposed definition of the word is a drinking bout. Because ah. a misprint of the word bever, or which is the French word from which beverage comes from. So when you see it means a lot of, it means like we're in a drinking battle and there is okay. a lot of drinking going on. There is Weird. a bevy of beverages. And with so, that. So it is, you're, you and your wife are not wrong. <laughs> that's, that's fabulous. So with that, Jeff, until Wednesday or Thursday, whenever the hell we decide to record next week, Give them hell. Maybe Sunday if we're in a New Year's Six game. Maybe we maybe have Sunday if we're in a New Year's Six game. Maybe Sunday if uh, it's five o'clock. So probably if not we getting a Kalani announcement, but hopefully between now and Sunday we do. If we end up going to the Independence Bowl and playing UTSA, we may not record until next Sunday. Right. So it will be a while. It could be two days. It could be two weeks. Who knows? But until next time, Jeff. Give them.